We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Welcome to issue 579 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Fina Rita. And I'm your other, other host, Cable Hashitani. Dang it, I now don't... I listen for it and giggle. <laughs> uh, it turns out I don't know how to count. I was expecting that we were starting the year on 780. Oof, wow, that would have been but... a big jump. I... No, wait, what number did you say we're on? 579. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm at 580. I was. I thought oh. we were starting the year on a round number, essentially. It would have been nice. Like, part of me, I, I mean, maybe we should just go back and say that it's issue 580. And when someone asks, what about 579? We're like, oh, you missed it. It's gone. Also, looking through uh, email, uh, this is episode uh, 580. Is it really? It is. Oh, you, your Patreon. Oh, God damn much, it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Last week was 579. So this is 580. All right. Do you want to start over real quick? <laughs> Why, hello. And welcome to issue 580 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Pina Rita. And I'm your other, other host, uh, Cable Hashtani. How's your guys' week going? How's the new year? <laughs> See, now you can just splice that in. It's fine. My monkey. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I'm know. just a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't stop doing that. What's that from? Okay. So you've seen this, and you probably just blot it out because it's Fred Armisen. It's the very first episode of Broad City where they have to go. They're trying to get money for that um, uh for that Wheezy concert and they right. agree to clean somebody's house in their underwear and wow. it's Fred Armisen. And when they go to, when they go to collect the money, like the $200 for this service, he's like, I don't have any money. I, I don't know. I'm just a little baby. It's, I don't know why, but I just, I think of it all the time. It's so I, stupid. I do vaguely remember that. Uh, it's amazing that I remember any full episode of Broad City, considering what condition I'm usually in when I watch it. Uh, and then they crash his apartment. Yeah. The only one I really, really remember is when they, and we'll get to the show here in a minute, is when they go, to, when one of them's house-sitting for a friend, a rich friend, 
and they try out like the real fancy bidet that has like 20 settings and they invite people over and all sit on it. And that's, um, that's Ilana's, um, she babysits their son for the okay. switch family. Yeah. They're like, Oh, <laughs> apparently I watch a lot of broad city. Just know these things off the top of my head. I watched a lot for a while. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I might watch some more for the show. So how's everyone's uh, year begun? A bit more positive? Uh, yeah. I mean, like five days in. I know. I know. The first three days were pretty sluggish. I was like really low energy. And <laughs> I, legitimately, I think I just drank way too much on New Year's Eve and spent the next, you know, one, two, three days recovering. Yeah, uh, but I went back to work in the office on Monday, and it's been going very well. I feel, I feel less lost, and I'm like marking shit off my to do list, which grows faster than I can get stuff done. In I think I feel like so. So I feel good about that. That's the nature of to do lists. Yes. Yeah. Once Sack you start says, one, they just keep going. Sax says it's geek in the city of radio too. The city ing. <laughs> the city in The city in <laughs> uh, He says I could start over at like season two. Okay, so Sack, true story. We almost, we did that once. Uh, around, I think it was around year two or three of Film Fever Radio. We had the fun idea of like, well, what if we just make every year a volume? So it'd be volume two, episode one. And then it would go from there. Uh, it turns out that really confuses podcast feed algorithms. So that got dropped. So yeah, don't try and do volumes. It doesn't work. It it angers the it angers the old school iTunes gods. I don't know what it would do now, but uh, things have gotten for the way Library more of Congress. Why can't it work for iTunes? Because you got to remember, this is also back in like the dark ages of podcasting. I'm sure there are easier ways to do it now, but now I'm just like, well, screw it. Hey. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. I, 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 this is not, I'm not, uh, uh, my ire is not at you. It's, at, you know, everything else. Sure, that's fair. When, especially when it doesn't make any sense for no goddamn good reason. The answer like is a always... a lot of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the answer is always because... Um, yeah, I hate that answer. I'm trying to think if I watch anything interesting over the past week or so. Uh, I mean, we're going to get to one of them later on in the show, like the big thing mm-hmm. that I believe we've all watched. Uh, I did break time. down, not break down. I did watch the second Star Wars Gal or Star Wars Galaxy or Gallery Gallery about Mandalorian season two. It was it was very nice. It was fun. I still need to watch that. Uh... I I loved the first one. I'm still as amazing as the episode about the volume was. Uh, I think the the episode that really threw me that that I thought was going to be. I'm like, yeah, this this one's not going to be as interesting. And I'm like, oh, this was the most interesting episode. Was the one about uh, uh, what's his name um, Ludwig Gunnarsson, the composer. Oh, and his giant recorder. And 
everything, like everything that he did yeah. for the music for that show. And just watching him, it's like, you are, you are standing tall and firm in the shadow of John Williams. And you are showing absolutely zero fear, <laughs> but you still respect the fact that you are standing in the shadow of John Williams and you are trying to create something that somehow manages to blend perfectly with yeah. everything that Williams did. And, his- uh, and there's like, I'm impressed by that. I was really, really impressed by the, yeah. like the level of composition that he did. And I like how he got the job. Like, Oh, he's friends with, you know, he, with uh, Donald, er, Donald Glover and um, uh, crap. Uh, director of Creed and Fruitville Station uh, yeah, and Black uh, Panther. Uh, damn it. Ryan Coogler. Thank you. They're the ones that went, oh, yeah, you should hire this guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they did. Yeah. And he just uh, comes in with his recorder. It's like, this is what I got. Do, 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 do. <laughs> that, that right there. Pretty genius. That's, love- that's the theme. Yeah. And when he unpacks that giant recorder, like how giddy he was that he had found like the world's biggest recorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I, think- I love is uh, people, other musicians and other composers who watch the show, like they will do a screenshot of him in his studio just to point out some obscure <laughs> instrument or some extremely rare instrument on his wall in his collection. They're like, that son of a bitch has this thing. Can you believe that? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I also kind of thing... like where, like, he's known for more kind of avant-garde film scores and, and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you could see the kid at him, and he's like, but, you know, it's Star Wars, which means yeah. John Williams. Who doesn't like John Williams' Star Wars score? He has that good, like, eh. you know, that's what's really fun to watch about all the the gallery stuff is that, all these, a lot of these creators that are known for like really serious pieces mm-hmm. um, that when it boils down to it, they're like, we're, we all got into cinema because as kids, we saw that big ass star destroyer and went, what? And that like fired off imagination. So how are we ever going to say no to giving back to the thing that gave us so much, no matter mm-hmm. how commercial it is, how can we say no to it? You know? I would say it's it's just a feature length this time. It's not whatever ten episodes. Oh, okay. It was yeah. eight episodes the first time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right because they're eight. Yeah, yeah, because they don't need to do an entire episode on like the volume again or what inspired it. This is true. Yeah. Man, I just oh, the volume is an amazing piece of technology. It's bigger and, now. And to think about how. Favreau got there from the other Disney movies that he did. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, from Jungle Book to Lion King to, to, or from Iron Man all the way up to that. It's like, oh, you've been playing with all kinds of different pieces of technology and like, nope, there's, we're almost there. Like, I, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to what I want. And then I can make any movie and any TV show I ever want in this one place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I do love how all of this was made possible by basically technology that was designed for first-person shooters in like <laughs> 88 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you're going to have to elaborate on that one. So the volume is powered by a version, and I'm very much doing like the 
least knowledgeable version, I guess, of the Unreal Engine, which almost every video game you fire up now, you'll get the logo that says Unreal. And it's a real-time processing graphic engine. But I want to say the first game was like, and I'm sure, in fact, I feel like I should just look at the chat right now. <laughs> to see to who see, said what it is. To see, to see who tells me I'm about to get it wrong. Okay, there's no one there yet. I will eventually get corrected by someone when I say this. Um, but I'm trying to think. Well, I. Uh, damn it. Um, I don't remember the first game that was done on it. I want to say it was Quake. Not Doom. I think I want to say Quake was the first one that used the Unreal Engine for a first person shooter. I want I to agree with you because my instinct is is to say doom, and I think that is wrong. Yeah, I think that, John Carmack. familiar though? And and it's also something that they like. Didn't they use the same concept, if not the same technology, when they started doing uh, army scenes for Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I want to say that was a proprietary, but yeah, same idea. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was, but it was the, the concept of like, oh, we need to model what video games are doing so that yeah. you know they can just do these things. I know the bulk of the Urukai in wide shots of two towers is a is a gaming AI they created, like not true AI, but a gaming engine that could kind of think for itself. But I remember they had mentioned that during the Battle of Helm's Deep, they had made it so realistic that like a third of the Urukai began to retreat. So they're watching footage and like, what, what's going on? Why are they running away? And their programs were like, oh, oh, we made them too, we gave them too much will. We, we gave them too much self-will. So yeah, they're retreating. He's like, no, 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 they can't retreat. Take that out of the program. <laughs> Whoops. Oops. Yeah, which is kind of great. Uh, I think there was a game called Unreal also that really pushed it. Let me see if I'm being yelled at in the chat yet. I think you're right, and I don't think it really went anywhere. Like, it, yeah. the the engine is more... has more fame than the actual game. Yeah. Uh, sex as Quake? Yeah, I think it's Quake. But you I feel like there was it. a game called Unreal. They tried it, but I think, yeah, Quake. That was the big one. Well, it was like um, this was this was a few Not years ago name. when they were going to make um, Mouse Guard into a, a movie, like a like a CGI animated film, and the filmmakers had used the Unreal Engine to create like a ten minute scene as a proof of concept that they, that like that an animated mouse guard would work. Not like, mm-hmm. look at this technology, but just like, look, this will be a compelling movie. Yes, it's about mice, but look how great it is. And I, I remember reading one of the reasons why it died is that the studio didn't want to put all this money that was going to be needed for an animation company to do this movie. So it got killed. But I remember like the creators of Mouse Guard were like, well, that proof of concept you showed was really cool. Why don't you just do that? Like, why go through, like, yeah, I know that's animation, but why go to a whole other studio? That looked great. And the studio was like, oh, that's for video games. That's, we're movies. 
sirs, madams. But that was the attitude for so long. It still is. It still is. No, I know. Same reason why they'll never hire comic book writers to actually write these superhero movies, because they're comics. I mean, in some cases, I think that's a blessing. In others, it's <laughs> a, sure it's a crime. Yes. Especially when said comic book movies have to go, oh, uh, we need someone to fix the script. Go go hire the, hire the comic book guys. Yeah. Just I, I don't care. Just spend whatever it takes. Get them out here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not that we've ever heard of that happening. We've never heard that at all. It's you know, <laughs> it's like that story that Kevin Smith has told for like years that when Warner Brothers approached him to do a writing to do a pass on the Superman script, he's like, "Why don't you? Like, this is great, but why don't you just go to the folks at DC? They've been writing this character for like fifty years. They're like, well, that's comics. We need a we need screenwriters." And he's like, "I." So you're you're picking the guy that made like Superman dick jokes as you think that's the guy who knows Superman. He's like, I know him, but not as well as the people that have spent their lives writing the character. So like if you think about the level of ineptitude that it takes <laughs> at the top, like I, I know that I've I've rallied on behalf of producers before because producers do things that other people can't do. But one of the things that they like good producers know how to find the like if you said just hire the people from the comics, they go, Oh yeah, that that's right. Get them out here. Get them out right. here now. Because they can adapt the writer to the format. But the dumber ones believe that the writer is the format. So you have to have a screenwriter to write a screenplay. You have to have a comic book writer to write a comic book. One, you can't cross the streams. And it's probably encouraged to do that in junior level executives and junior producers because they're dumb. Mm -hmm. And you dumb it down for like, yeah. And you're covering your own ass. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. No, I literally. You're trying to make it foolproof. You worked. I I literally got passed up for a script writing position uh, because their number one criti- criticism of me is that um, I only wrote comic book scripts. And I was like, you know, I've, I've written screenplays, stage plays, and comic book scripts. It's the hardest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the trickiest one to do, but sure, go ahead and tell me that since I've only written a comic script, I can't write another one. Not saying I would not need to learn stuff. Yeah, absolutely do, but... Never. This episode is making me squint a lot. I know we should make a kve- <laughs> we should make a kvetch fest. There we go. We've got a title already. Kvetch fest. We're, we're only like twenty minutes in. Very well. How else should we ring in the new year other than griping about everything that is wrong while while the year is fresh and we have. 360 days to fix it. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say the Gregorian calendar is completely arbitrary, and so why should we do things differently the first show of the year than any other show in the year? I, so basically what you're saying is you're seeing my pragmatism with nihilism. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the crux of our friendship, Cable? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And there's poor Aaron, the, the lone optimist. 
He's not the lone optimist. No, optimist isn't even the right word what, either. The Pollyanna? Compared to the rest of us. Mm. Imagine how bad things Sorry. are going to get when I'm like the really angry one who's like said screw it all. And that's why I'm saying optimist isn't that. quite correct because you do have, you know, anger and, you know, disappointment. Uh, the most, oh, yeah, I do. Oh. Ho- most hopeful out of the three of us. Is that a, is that a more accurate? Yeah. Like I, I think we're going to get to Star Trek one day. You're like, no, nope, we're going to hit the expanse and that's all humanity's going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Humans are garbage and they, you know, as a group treat hum- each other like garbage. So it's a more realistic expectation of I mean, what we'll be like in space. Why should, quality- we, why should why should we suddenly just believe in socialism just because now we can go to space? We can't even get people to believe in it right the fuck now. Because that's just America. That's not all humanity. And that is not all Americans. Just the other, ones country, other populations in other countries are also very against the idea of socialism. Not the socialist ones. <laughs> they seem to be doing fine. Right, yeah. right. But, uh, I mean, I mean, like, Britain is almost equally as bad as we are in terms of what percentage of the population is against certain helpful concepts. Because much like us, the people who are in power are old, white, and conservative. Mm. And yeah, predominantly right. male. You're right, you're right. And it's yeah. almost as if both countries were the, were the target of a very blatant but incredibly effective um, Russian social psy operative that completely, inter- like, and completely influenced all forms of social media. It also oh. happened in Brazil. And it's as <laughs> if the three countries have the same kind of leadership. Hmm. Hmm. I, uh, I've, I've long been fond of Judy Dench's line in, in uh, the Bond movies where she just goes, God, I miss the Cold War. I mean, and I, I will affectionately say that from time to time, but I miss the old Cold War. I'm not really thrilled with the current cold war yeah, of no. misinformation it's it's full of some bullshit and really stupid people incredibly stupid people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just made me think of um, a picture of an old white maggot with his maga hat and a t-shirt that said um, oh sorry for better, what did it say like better, on, better dead good. than a democrat for a split second I thought like how do they put a hat on a maggot but okay you meant to <laughs> That's a wee hat. A, 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 a maggot. It was basically a, a, an updated version of the better, better dead than red, the anti-Russian Cold yeah. War era, uh, you know, sentiment. But in the, but updated to say like I would have, no, it was better, better, better red than than Democrat or better red than blue. Or basically, they said they'd ra- the, the the takeaway was I would rather be taken over by Russia than. I'd let Democrats take over. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. It's good times. I've been listening to a lot about the uh, the Georgia runoff election happening today, so I've got a lot yeah. of feelings right now. I'm just I'm just waiting. I'll check in in on that tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not gonna. What are you I, doing? I'm Kat? more freaking out over the Pennsylvania Assembly. Oh, where yeah. the Republicans refused to seat Democrats that won. 
and it was already verified by the state and every high court, and they just won't seat them. Super. I know that I know that twenty twenty one has just begun, and we have three hundred and sixty days to go. We've only just begun. But this shit is not going to end well, and it's going to be another bumpy year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Buckle up, kids. <laughs> okay, lady, hold on to your potatoes. I don't know why I went to a fucking Temple of Doom reference. I don't but know. Because I, I just glanced over my indie poster. Mm. I don't remember him saying that. Uh, after they fall out of the Club Obi-Wan. And, and through sh- the roof of the cab. Yeah, and Shorty's driving. Yeah, that's, that's what a sh- says? That's Hold a short round potatoes? line. Yeah. Mm. He says, oh my, she says, oh my God, there's a kid driving. He says, okay, lady, hold on to your potatoes. And he puts down his foot. I love short round. Did not remember that that was the line. The potatoes part is the part that I'm like, really? <laughs> he is one of the few kid sidekicks that I actually find competent and enjoyable in a film. Um, it, it were it not for short round, Indy would have been lost. That's true. Oh, yeah. Short round saved that movie. Yep. Fact. <laughs> Quit screwing around with that kid. <clears throat> uh, no time for love, Dr. Jones. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> call him Dr. Jones, doll. <laughs> um, or just, just that one scene where she won't put her arm through the, the, the passage because it's, it's nasty in there. And he's just like, we are going to die. Mm-hmm. And then he does a frown. He goes, hmm. He does this great little frown right after that. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still bummed we never got more short round in like later tales. Mm. Still got that one in the primer ready to go. Ready to pull the trigger if Disney ever says like, we're going to do indie comics. <laughs> going to put it in World War Two. Make short round a member of the Chinese Secret Service. Whoa. I think they have to get around to announcing whatever it is that they were planning on doing with that. Yeah. Even though we're like, here's Star Wars, here's Marvel, there's yep. Indiana Jones right there. Yes, yes, and uh, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, Indiana Jones, and over here is Marvel. <laughs> Indiana Jones in the corner. <laughs> yeah, because you put it, you put it when Indy's actually in the army. And he's helping out. You know he's still hunting antiquities because you know the Nazis are still going crazy for it. And 1943-44, short round would be around 17 or 18. He would be totally age-appropriate to be in the Chinese army who are our allies. Because then you force both of them to have to work with Lao Shea. Super sweet. I've given, him way, too much, I've given him way too much thought. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. Yes, that's, that's what I... The, the, I am unsurprised. Uh, that is the title to your memoirs. Given it too much thought. I've given it, I've given it way too much thought. The Aaron Duran story. Man, I'm going to have a lot of memoirs for someone that doesn't have a lot of stuff going on right now. <laughs> that's just right now. Yeah. A lot, of people, a lot of people don't have a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, no, I guess I got to get to it. Like someone just reminded me, they're like, you need to relax. David Chase didn't sell The Sopranos till he was 53. I'm like, yeah, okay. Ooh. That's a long wait. 
you know, I'm not going to wait, but you know, it's like, oh, I mean, all right. is it, is it a long wait or is it that was right when it was supposed to happen? Yeah, I guess. I'm sure yeah. for him it felt like a long wait, even if it was at the right, it happened at the right time. It doesn't mm-hmm. change how long it took to get there it took, or, it, or how long it would feel. It takes as long as it takes. I'm not yeah. disagreeing with that at all. Yeah, it just, but <laughs> all of that is, you know, you get back to the, the Gregorian calendar is made up and arbitrary. So are all of the stages of our of when we are supposed to have success in our lives. That's true. What did I see? Um, so I don't know, like a year ago or so, there was that uh, that series of tweets in your thirties. You should have done X, <laughs> Y, and Z by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the one I saw today was by the time you're thirty six. You should have like two real friends who live 700 miles away in different directions and like 700 uh, social media friends who, you know, who with relationships with whom are so tenuous that disagreeing about the flavor of an orange uh, could, could make or break it. I feel that the. The deciding factor there is actually uh, disagreeing disagreements over which pop tart flavor is the best. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, what that, is the best one? It's the one that you like. It's the pop tart that you're having right now. Mm. That's the best flavor. Sure, sure. It's true. I don't eat a lot. Says of the pragmatist. So I don't have a lot of opinions on my toaster pastries. I could not tell you how many years it's been since I've had a toaster pastry. Yes, sir. I went to the grocery store about a month ago, bought a box of Pop-Tarts, put them in the cupboard. This last time I went grocery shopping, I, I was tempted to buy Pop-Tarts because I'm like, oh, I still want Pop-Tarts. I should get Pop-Tarts. I don't need Pop-Tarts. And then I got home and went, oh, right, because I already bought them and I still haven't touched the box of Pop-Tarts. Tell <laughs> you what, I, I definitely buy- want Pop-Tarts now. I know, now I do. I kind of only buy the Pop Tarts. I only buy them when they're like a gimmick flavor or like a weird tie in. Mm -hmm. I think uh, my my general go to is either a frosted strawberry or a frosted blueberry. You can never go wrong with a blueberry or strawberry. Mm -mm. I don't think I've ever had a blueberry, but strawberry sounds good. Don't they make one that's like birthday cake flavored now? Yes. They also do a s'mores one, which is, is way too sweet. It's super sweet. What's the s'mores the one is the s'mores. It's no, that because it's, great. it's chocolate and marshmallow cream inside a graham cracker pop tart. Oh, so all the filling is sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a lot. They're good, but I can usually only eat one of the two in the package. That's right. You share the package. Yeah, yes. That one. Yeah. That weird um, foil packet that the, only exists in the realm of pop tarts. You can't buy foil that way. No. The the other one that I that I truly enjoy and this I think also says a lot about my uh, how I like to flavor my oatmeal is the brown sugar cinnamon. Mm. No, you can never go wrong with brown sugar cinnamon. That's yeah. a good classic pop tart. Yeah. Oh, and then you maybe slice put some. Well, that kind of defeats the purpose of a pop tart. Let's say you put some thin slices of banana on that, but then you overcomplicate. Well, or you make it a sandwich. You put the banana slices between the two Pop-Tarts. And I don't want to say that I have possibly maybe used two Pop-Tarts as the bread for a peanut butter sandwich. 
That sounds but so I'm sure indulgent to me. <laughs> so like you two, two, you're eating two pop tarts and something else inside of there. Pop tarts come in two per package. <laughs> oh, like yeah. they're designed Royalty to be coming through. Yeah, it's still one packet. Yeah, I once did that. Oh, that's a the, good point. They do come as a twofer, yeah. huh? Yeah, I, I once did the brown sugar and cinnamon pop tart. Um, I made it with an. I made an ice cream sandwich with pumpkin ice cream in the middle. That sounds delectable. That's what I've seen online is, uh, yeah. yeah, Pop-Tart ice cream sandwiches. And that is like... I'm so hungry now. Too rich for my blood. So I think, but if you, you do that, do the- the, then you do the, <laughs> you do the unfrosted strawberry. Because oh. then you don't have the extra. And unfrosted strawberry apparently counts it, like everything that's in it, even though it's still processed food. Um, vegans can eat unfrosted strawberry Pop-Tarts. Oh, there you go. There's no animal anything in them. What's in the frosting that is non-vegan? Probably egg or milk. Some Probably some kind of like tweaked dairy product, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was say, it, it always seemed to me like royal icing, which is basically just powdered sugar and water. Or milk. Oh, that's fair. Cool, cool. Mm. Oh, yeah, it does have milk. The frosting? Yeah. Mm. Yep. I think the last time I actually had uh, the last box of Pop-Tarts I ate was probably in September, October when I picked up pumpkin spice. Oh, by the way, Norm warns us, uh, do not get the chocolate churro Pop-Tart. It sits on a throne of lies. Almost that's, every churro thing I've had that's not a churro is a throne of lies. Like I bought Cinnamon Toast Crunch did did a churro cereal. I don't see how you could make it significantly different from a regular Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's, it just tasted like a Cinnamon Toast Crunch that was way too big. Mm-hmm. So it did all the damage that like Cat'n Crunch does to your mouth. Mm-hmm. But in even bigger quantities because like they're the size of half of your thumb. So far, the only thing that I have ever had or made that is in the family of churro that still is faithful to churro is uh, my recipe for churro waffles. What? How come I've never had this made for me, Cable? (laughs) What the hell, man? (laughs) I I will. I will uh, pull out the the recipe and send it over to you. Yes. I feel like that should be one of our like Patreon only live things. Okay. Churro cable, churro waffles with cable. I almost said churro cables with waffle. That's a whole nother show. I discovered the recipe years ago and it was, used to be our uh, breakfast for Christmas morning as I, I would make churro waffles. The recipe makes two waffles, which is about all you can eat. It's like, nope, that was that was plenty. Challenge accepted. Because it the waffle iron crisps the outside um, of the waffle and then it's still gooey on the inside and then covered in all that cinnamon and sugar. It's perfect. You can actually see Denise shrinking from the camera and like yeah. oh. <laughs> No, I'm gonna go make that now. I know I made Bye. churros. I made churros during the remember the early happy times of the lockdown when we were all convinced we'd flatten the curve and We'd at least be able to see each other sometime around May. June. Yeah, no, May, June. I, I, I don't remember those times. See, that was my optimism kicking in. Yep. 
But anyway, like if you have the Disney app, they would share recipes like every few days. And one of them was their churro recipe. I was like, I'm going to make a bucket of churro, which I did. It was great. But now if I just make them, they'll just depress me. No, they won't. I'm going to make some. Like, uh, how, can you ever, how can you ever be depressed by churros? Because it makes me miss Disneyland, okay? It's what I am. Hey, they don't own the concept of churros, you know. I know, but I have good memories associated with it. No, but also, it uses, it uses a lot of eggs. Yep. That's pretty much where, like, most theme parks in, in L.A. seem to be. That's where people get churros. Uh, we're not um, – your so your churro waffles? Uh-huh. We're not calling it that anymore. Why? Churro waffles. I'm still calling it churro waffles. Thank you very much. <laughs> Come I'm on. Not, First portmanteau making... of the year. And I'm not even taking credit. It was Norm. It's always Norm. Oh, I'm Asian. sorry. It lies. It was Sack. Oh. I, I miss. I miss aligned those things. I will take it under consideration for the remainder of the podcast and get my verdict at the end of the show. Waffles. <laughs> Just drink more. Your verdict will improve. Mm. I don't know if there's enough rum left in this drink for me to do get there. But Speaking we'll of which, I don't know I'm if a, that's a testament uh, against the concept or just a, a shortage of rum. The rum is not yet gone. There's still half a bottle over there. Can you imagine if you made a rum glaze for your churro waffles? I oh. can imagine it now. <laughs> well, the oh, show just man. turned into food porn. I know. Yeah. I know. Didn't we have something to talk about today besides... Sweets of breakfast sweets. Sure, let's talk about Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, God. Uh, which, <laughs> which is great because we can talk about the saccharineness of, of the, how saccharine it was. Yes, that is a really good way to put that. But mm-hmm. uh, one way, I, th- I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, okay, does someone want to give a premise? Also, spoiler I, I, alert because we're probably going to spoil shit for you. Yeah, if you haven't, haven't already it. watched WW84. You can fast forward their podcast. Probably like half an hour. Yeah, that that should do. Um, Premise of the movie. Um, Diana is still not over the guy she banged 70 years ago once. Sure. It's at 1984. Yeah. Um, Who apparently also was a star in the Failed Adrian Pilecki yeah. show. That clip has he had been forgotten searching. about it. Like someone reminded him. He's like, "Oh right, I was already on Wonder Woman." <laughs> um, Wait, what? Yeah, he's in the pilot. He's a cop, Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the MacGuffin of the movie is a magical wishing stone that. Uh, a failed businessman Maxwell Lord is trying to find so that he can turn himself into the master of wishes and be all that he can be. And, um, which is, I took that as a, a very both subtle and blatant, um, not admonishment, a critique, of the decadence of the eighties and in particular, Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely there. Um, And yes, there's a lot of uh, Diana seven years later, kind of, you know, still wanting something for herself. And uh, 
then you have Kristen Wiig coming to grips with the fact that she's actually a lesbian and then becomes a supervillain. <laughs> what? Oh, come I on. I did not pick up those vibes. Uh, how how did you really- not? The, the first scene that she's in with Diana, all she does is hit on her. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, that's what everyone would do. To the be first fair. Time. That's kind of what um, yeah, everyone would, would do. I would too, and I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty low score on the Kinsey scale, but I would still hit on Gal Gadot. Mm-hmm. Wait, is it uh, low or high? Speaking of the higher the number, the more fluid you are. Not. Yeah, when, you know I'm not going to go down that. We're going to get so many like Geek in the City Radio gets problematic with the kids. I'm like, forget it. I'm trying to be problematic. I'm trying to say I'm not no, that no. fluid. Uh, but I would still hit on Gal Gadot. You know who on I would hit on? a scale of one to Odo, how fluid are you? <laughs> No, you know who I wouldn't hit on, and I feel bad for saying so, is Adrian Pilecki as Wonder Woman. It's not a good look. It's really not, and I would so hit on Adrian Pilecki, but it's not like, as Wonder Woman. It's like a fucking spirit of Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. I'm it's, disappointed. It's an awful costume. I mean, it's I an were, awful wig. You know, a lot of other people apparently because it didn't last. Yeah, no, but. the pilot's bad. Bad. Anyway, moving on. Anyone would hit on Gal Gadot. Um, and Gal Gadot is, has been pining for the same guy for 70 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, still does everything, all her Wonder Woman-y stuff in secret. Which mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. they've kind of forced the hand because her first, like, global acknowledgement is during Batman v Superman, which is roughly, whatever, 20, blah, blah, blah. Um, Another 20 years later. Yeah, which always sits wrong with me, but that is what it is. I don't know how you fix that. Other than ignoring Batman v Superman completely and just going right to Justice League. Has Wonder uh, Woman ever had exactly a, a sidekick or a support person? You know, like a, an Alfred of sorts? She did. Uh, they all died. Well, well, yeah, she had Etta Candy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the entire team of Steve's uh, secret commandos. Yeah. Like, the photographs in her apartment told the story of, like, she clearly kept on past World War One going on adventures with them oh i must have forgotten about that because i was thinking it was just sort of a one-time thing yeah because it's kind of established that etta and those commandos find like a fucking mother box Mm -hmm. and hide it away like they hide like the the one of them i don't remember which one but they hide they find a mother box and like hide it no i guess i forgot that part of the ending yeah well, it's it's that it's an after scene, right? Where Edda shows up to the boys Post in the credit. bar, and she's like, "Yeah, I think so." Yeah, uh, I'm 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 gonna go ahead and say this now before we get further down the road, so that people know I I enjoyed the movie, and I do not get the backlash. I think it's I think people's expectations were way too high. Um, and quite honestly, I, I think that this is exactly what we wanted in that we wanted a mediocre superhero movie made by a woman who can then go on and keep making more movies, just like all the other men in the industry who have made mediocre superhero movies. Yeah, That's I, the point of this. 
Well, I don't think we want mediocre movies. What we yeah, want is to not punish female filmmakers for only making a mediocre movie and then no longer being allowed to make more right. when that's what guys get all the time. So this I is would have preferred an above mediocre <laughs> Wonder Woman film. I would have too, but then that puts the expectation of like, well, this person has to make solid gold all the time. Otherwise, we're not going to give her a job. Well, I'd rather have been a really good movie um, than I, 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 I'm get, I, you probably enjoy the movie more than I did the movie has moments that I quite love but mm-hmm. as a collective narrative I'm like I got no idea why or when your story doesn't make any sense it's all over the place there was too many. It was trying to be too many movies in one. And that's because and, it, it's not a movie. It is a two and a half hour long episode of the seventies Wonder Woman television series. Yeah, but, you know, it, I heard a lot of that, that, that commentary, but I yeah. never watched it, so I, I did not have that reference to pick up on. Every every outfit Diana wore was some sort of homage to something that Linda Carter wore in the seventies. Mm-hmm. The color scheme the design the uh the fact that their version of the 80s is clearly based on movies about the 80s yeah as opposed to actually being about the 80s mm-hmm. like it had a built-in camp to it that said we're not like uh, yeah I, that was a lot of my takeaway is like they weren't trying to do this this was very much a a long form episode of the TV show. Much the that. same way that Star Trek Beyond was a long form version of uh, like the, the TV show. Except it was good. <laughs> and see, I don't, I don't, even if, even if I didn't pick up on the, like the similarities to the original Wonder Woman TV series, I didn't, I wouldn't really consider that as big of a crime as the fact that, two villains but one of them gets way more screen time and character dev than the other the thing i was most looking forward to was kristen wig as cheetah and i think they really did that character and thus the actress a disservice yeah as much as i really love pedro pascal and i do um you don't need maxwell lord in this movie like at all one or the other, but not both, because you're taking away, like, they could have gone way deeper with Pedro Pascal's character, or they could have done a sufficient job of telling Cheetah's story, which was, and I'm not going to say that the movie as a whole isn't a little bit ham-fisted, but definitely everything in the development of, um, is it Miranda? Meredith? Uh, Barbara. 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 Dr. Barbara Maneuver. Thank you. Uh, so Barbara becoming Cheetah and why and who she is and all of that was very, very ham-fisted. Mm-hmm. And if they had just focused on one, on, on her, you know, in, in one film, then they could have done a better job of that, I think. I think yeah. I, like, I heard some complaints, like, I don't care about the wishing rock, whatever. It's a, it's a superhero movie. If you uh, just create... It's a device. Yeah, just create rules around that rock, which they never really followed in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like you know, in the first Avengers movie, like Loki just pokes someone and they fall under his guise. 
we find out later it's an infinity stone. And since they've set up rules, like, okay, I buy it. So I'll buy that the, this wishing rock will grant you whatever you want. Um, my big, my issue is that I don't think, I think what could have been done is that instead of Barbara saying, I want to be like her, it was more like, I want to be her. And that's how you start to remove Diana's powers. Oh, because it more directly correlates between the giving and the taking parts. It mm-hmm. works, and it may, and it creates a better... And, and first off, you needed more of a bonding between those two. The The connection between Cheetah and Wonder Woman in the comics is meant to be incredibly tragic. Um, Barbara Minerva was one of Diana's best friends that she... And what breaks Diana's heart is that she could never fully save her. It's the same reason why in the, the Batman comics, Two-Face is Bruce's greatest loss. He can never get Harvey Dent back. He knows he never can. He's going to try every single time. And that would have been something that would have improved the the movie and its concepts, is if they already knew each other. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So the you idea still need of to them, do the work of establishing that relationship even, for the viewer. Yeah, but, even though, by the way, they actually do work in the same department, apparently. And they just never met until the day they're introduced. Well, no, because she had just been hired. Day. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, get rid of that. Just have them be friends. They've been friends mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. But either uh, way, establish that relationship for the viewer. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, and this is secondary in my mind, but the other thing that like really brings the movie down is it just thought that the, the solution, like the way she solves the problem and saves the day is so preachy. It's just like, I saved the day with words. Actually, like that about Wonder Woman. That I don't like that she spends basically the third half of the movie lying down, being beaten up. And I put that right on Jeff Johns. He definitely loves his woman um, bloody and laying on the ground as they win. Sorry, was that out loud? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the idea that Diana does not use her fists or the sword to save the day. She appeals to the love and humanity that she sees in humanity, and that's how she wins. And that is, again, part of the core of the character. Yeah, I just don't like how they did it with her. I don't like how they did it. But I don't, I don't mind the idea of that's how she wins. I think, I think maybe that's a little bit more what I mean. It was just like very, oh, God, how do I even? It, 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 it didn't feel genuine. It just felt kind of preachy. And yeah, for, she, she, you know, she's got this, legendary armor but it barely lasts and yeah now she like is physically damaged i mean i know part of that is from the the wish the the wish situation but she had already taken it back by the time the final you know climactic situation is happening that and that's she still something can else like barely fight and then and then she can only use her words that's yeah that's the thing that bugged me i really they built that that armor and gave it a quick little background where I felt like it should have been more. Um, I know they wanted to save Linda Carter for like the post-credit or mid-credit little sizzle there, mm-hmm. but that's kind of how you do it. Like save in this, like Diana's now almost completely powerless because Barbara keeps just taking and taking and taking because now she's gotten a taste from it and she's channeling her past and her anger. And it's like, I'm not going to be weak and picked on ever again. So Diana realizes she has to find the only other Amazon who ever left Paradise Island, or who never went into Paradise Island. Mm-hmm. 
because she's got the armor still. It's the only way she can beat Barbara. She doesn't want to have to physically fight Barbara. She knows she has to. The armor is the only thing that's going to give her that edge. So she has to find Linda Carter. And that would have been a, a, a cohesive movie with only one villain. I can't beat her. She's getting too strong as I grow weaker. Find the armor. Save the day. Probably not save Minerva, but... No, you can't because that's how you that's how you appeal. You you use Diana. She gets through to Barbara a little bit, enough to crack the veil, and does the. This is not who you are because she has to get Barbara Minerva. She has to get cheated to renounce the wish. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And the thing that Barbara can throw at her is like, well, you still have Steve, so how dare you ask me to give this up? And that's when you have Diana going like. I, yeah, this is my fault. Not completely, but like, so you have this, both of these come to this realization. Um, and then if, if Minerva's wish takes away, like for her to gain power is to take away uh, Wonder Woman's power, then what is the price paid and by whom for uh, Steve Trevor to come back? Yeah, we'll get to that here in a minute too. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant in your in your version, yeah, of how yeah. this could have been played out. Um, yeah, that's the Trevor thing. Go on. Well, first off, I want to say Gal Gadot and Chris Pine's chemistry is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I would watch those two goofing off in a mall. I would watch a movie of that because those two play off each other so well. Mm-hmm. They both have such a great screen presence um, that they're a joy to watch together. I believe I said aloud while watching it. It's like, that's right. I really like Chris Pine. He's so good. Man, I just saw a movie he was in where I was like, wait, that's him? I don't remember what it was now, though. But, mm. Um. If you're going to have the wishing stone, just wish him back. Um, Don't put him uh, in the body of a man who no longer has agency over his own body. And then assault said man. Um, Especially if at the end of the movie, you're going to make it extra weird where she's going to look at him and be like, hey, how's it going? You don't know me, but. uh, I've seen you naked. I've had your dong inside me. You did not have to say it like that. But, sure, but, uh, that, yeah, I mean. That's, again, one of those things where you talk about studio meddling and changes that get made because the studio wants, it's like, that feels like that was done to explain away. There's all of the things that feel like, why did you feel like you needed to explain this? that's usually when I'm like, that feels like... Yeah, if you could put up international walls in the blink of an eye with the same wishing stone, why did you need to hijack somebody else's body Mm -hmm. to bring back a dead person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just look, you've already said it's a stone that grants you your heart's desire. Like that. (laughs) And and I'm pretty sure her heart's desire was my boyfriend in another man's body. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was my boyfriend. I want Steve Trevor back. Mm Mm-hmm. Not Steve Trevor in the body of this other dude that I'm just like, oh, wait, it is Steve. Because he, he shares the same memory with me. 
it didn't make a lot of sense, and it was uh, awkward and uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine the backlash if the movie was literally had flipped genders, how that would be received. Uh, spoilers, poorly. not well. Yeah, poorly. And I'm not trying to say one or the other is any better, but it's like, yeah, uh, Wonder Woman should be better than that. Even if Trevor does, oh, say that's it is. Trevor does appear in the body of someone else. She can be like, he's like, Diana, I'm back. Waka waka. And she's like, ooh, yeah, it's you. But um, but then that would make her choice, you know, in the end, in the long run, less difficult. She's like, uh, yeah, no, go ahead and give this one back because it's not even the right body. Well, I mean, and if you're going to do that, I feel like it betrayed her character for her to be completely fine with using the body of a man who has absolutely no agency or control. And also, by the way, she has ruined his life because this man is on camera assaulting the White House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's video footage of this guy doing all this shit. It ain't Steve Trevor. It's not some dead World War One vet. It's the dude that lives in that apartment and has weird chaste and clothing. Diana gets to disappear because no one recognizes Diana and Wonder Woman, but this poor schmuck, this life is fucked. Yep, that that falls under the heading of, that's a, this was not addressed. Yeah. And he doesn't even get to say to himself, but at least I got to speak with Wonder Woman, because he doesn't get to remember that either, because he had no choice. Yep. I think what it... Poorly addressed. Poorly written on that part. Mm-hmm. Bad call, Ripley. I, there's a lot of this movie that I also attribute to... It was written and created in the past four years. And if anything has come across, it's that sometimes we we have to we can't be subtle. We have to be blunt. We That's have fair. to be fisted. But there are ways to do that, and then there are ways to do it poorly. Yeah. Um, there are also some scenes from the movie that I'm like, oh. This this would have been great on the big screen. I would have enjoyed that. Oh yeah, um, I think the wholly unnecessary but still entertaining, you know, caravan scene would have looked cool. Hmm. Uh, um, I I think the uh, the invisible jet scenes would have been great on the big mm-hmm. screen. Oh yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't need to be on that track either, though. I'm like, wait a minute. That museum has a jet that works that Diana has no problem just stealing. Well, she didn't steal it. Okay, come on. That's a <laughs> sin of omission, which is something she's also not cool with. <laughs> um, that can also, by the way, get to DC and Cairo and back on, you know. Man, yeah, these folks traveled real fast to different real fast. places. It's Super like, fast. where exactly was that satellite dish? Um, right. I do think, though, that Steve Trevor probably has my favorite line of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. When she mentions radar to him, when he's like, they'll never find me flying this fast. She's like, it's called the radar. They can find you anywhere. Well, shit, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way Chris Pine delivered that line. 
I chortled so loudly. I, I did I did mention when we were when we were watching the movie that uh, this was another case where the like he gets in a modern plane and immediately he's like, I'm gonna do this and do this. And it, and I get the fact I get the the idea that it's like biplanes from World War One and the, a modern fighter craft are not the same thing. But you know what is the same? Is the arrogance of pilots. <laughs> oh, sure. Because they can fly fucking anything. If you ask them, they can fly it. Right. And there have been a couple cases in, in, in uh, pop culture lately where it's like, yep, there, there it is. There's the arrogance of pilots. Uh, I... We've been seeing that with Detmer on the, yeah. on Discovery. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, there it is. That's... Yeah, she even says, "I'm a pilot." It's the macho thing. Like she flat yep. out calls it. It's like it's what yep. we are. Yep. Or what's that? Uh, I think it's an X Files episode. Jose chunks from outer space mm-hmm. when Scully or Mulder goes into that bar and asks about do a lot of pilots eat here, and she's like, "Yeah," and you think to hear them talk, it was them up there flapping their arms and flying. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But uh, but the way Trevor just got into that cockpit and was like, "This is this, and this is and, and fl- flies." It's like they'll never find me. It's like, yeah, that's it. And that's when I remembered. I'm like, oh right, because Patty Jenkins' father was a pilot. Yeah. Well, well shit, Diana. <laughs> Um, by the way, Zach says that the the point of the caravan scene, uh, he believes, was to fill the role of the the assault on the German occupied city. Like, you know, a lot. Yeah, it was supposed to be. No, yeah, no man's land, and yeah. it it wasn't. No, not at all. Uh, and to establish that she's losing her powers, they yes. they have to have an action sequence where you know you're like, wait, why are you struggling with this? Yeah, um, how come you actually are bleeding? I agree that the caravan scene was not uh, super important because I don't necessarily know that you have to have that equivalent of the No Man's Land scene. This is a different movie. Um, but I do think that that scene was better than the opening sequence at the mall. I have a really hard time with the way they, they do the special effects to, to show her swinging around like Tarzan on the, the golden lasso. Not the fact that they do it, just how they do it. It it literally reminds me of when you're a kid and you've got your action figures and they don't bend in any way. And so you're just like, Whoa, here I go. This is this is my toy and this we're flying. But the yeah. body doesn't move. It just looks really unnatural and fake. And so even though these are really high-end special effects, I think it looks like garbage. It doesn't look right. I think that's the one thing we still haven't perfected in terms of effects is animating an actual person. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, well, I think that's why, like, if you see Iron Man in the suit or you see Tom Holland in the full Spider-Man suit, it works. But if you have Tom Holland flinging around in, like, shorts and a T-shirt, it's going to look weird. Because your body, mm-hmm. your brain kind of knows how a human should look when it's being flung through the air. <clears throat> so it's that kind of weird uncanny valley thing. But I mean, like there, there are some like pretty spectacular aerial situations going on during that caravan scene, and they don't have that weird stilted plasticky look about them. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, part of it could be like color palette 
and the brightness of a certain scene. That mall is super bright. And while the desert well, chase Well, it was a 1984 bright, mall. There yeah, was something right. about the mall scene that made me feel like a focus group really enjoyed the mall battle in Stranger Things season three and wanted to see <laughs> it in a yeah. one that's set in the 80s. Like that, that felt like a focus group scene. It also uh, felt like to me, um, I keep, I'm always harping on this guy, but whatever. The mall scene also felt very much like Jeff Johns wanting to be Dick Donner because he interned for him. And so desperately wanting to make Superman the movie, and he doesn't know why Superman the movie works. I would take it as a, you know what, nothing is more quintessential in American culture than a shopping mall. You cannot have something about the 80s that does not at some point include a shopping mall. Sure. Yeah. But again, that gets back into... That was not an accurate depiction of the nineteen of nineteen eighty four. That was a depiction of how we nineteen eighty four is depicted by other movies. Sure. Yeah, and also the Washington DC. A copy of a copy. Yeah, the Washington DC of nineteen eighty four was not a pretty place. Like that's peak. Even when it was new. No, just DC itself was Mm -hmm. not a clean city in nineteen eighty four. It's the town of Marion Barry. Like, it's going through a serious crime issue right now in 84. Like, it is an ugly, ugly city. Um, so, yeah, Kay, I think what Kate was at is right. It's an 84 as depicted through movies that were about the 80s. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's a trope of a trope at this point. Yep. Yeah. Mo- movies about the 80s that came out in 2002. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's not a Wonder Woman movie that I will rewatch very often. And if I do, it will be just, I will watch scenes and then I'm like, all right. Like the original one, I can watch pretty much all the way through, even though, mm-hmm. except for the ending, that Ares fight is, that's the studio saying, hey, you got to fight a giant monster. And they're like, but that's not, the, fight him. All right, fine. Let's do a CGI fight. I it's agree. dopey. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was the weakest part of that film. Yeah. Um, For as much as I love the first film, I still think that there are other superhero movies that don't have female leads that did more for the agency of women in superhero movies than the first Wonder Woman did. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I still get back to uh, Pepper Potts is one of the major heroes of Iron Man 3. Pepper Potts is the person who actually takes out the bad guy. Right. Pepper Potts is the person who actually saved Tony twice <laughs> in that movie. I've never seen Iron Man 3. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a... Pepper Potts... Okay, Iron Man 3 it is... It gets hated first... on by a lot, and everyone who hates it is Which wrong. Which is dumb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Iron Man 3 is the best of the three of them, and is the only... I think to this day, the only Marvel movie, Marvel superhero movie that has passed the Bechdel test. Interesting. And I noticed it. They got it right the one time. (laughs) And you notice it. Like when I saw that in the theater, like the scene happened and I sat there for a minute and I'm like, I'm going to check this later, but I think this movie just passed the Bechdel test because there were no men on the screen 
and the two women were not talking about any of the men. <laughs> they were specifically talking about their careers. And in defense of Iron Man 3, it's not like I made a choice not to watch it. I saw the first two through no real impetus. It just mm, happened. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man 3 came out at a point where I wasn't bothering with movies or something. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I was. Fair. Might it's have been a, the country. I don't know. Iron Man 3 is a Shane Black movie. Yeah. I've never been disappointed by a Shane Black movie. So It, it, it is. It shares a lot of similarities in uh in narrative to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And The Incredibles. And The Incredibles. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Oh, yeah, 2013. I don't think I went to a single movie that year. Yeah, it's... Check it out. Well, if you have the Disney app, you have it. Disney Plus, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. One of these days, I'm going to sit down and just watch all of them again. And I know also, there's some that I've missed. And... It also, and I think the reason why a lot of like hardcore Marvel movie fans were mad is that Tony's got the suit on for a total of what? 15 minutes in that whole movie? Yeah, which is if awesome. That, so yeah. It's not It's not a real, like, you know, boom, boom, beat him up. It has those, but not not with the Mark V. You know, no, not really. It It's about Tony Stark dealing with P, PTSD. Yeah. Because it is the first Marvel movie post-Avengers. So, yeah, it's the Tony that has, it's the Tony that knows what's coming. Yeah. Who saw right, outer- right. PTSD, Tony. Yeah. I, I, we've had conversations about this. Yeah. yeah. Same, yes. Like that. That's a movie that you know talk, gave better agency to women than the first Wonder Woman movie. Uh, Black mm-hmm. Panther is another. <laughs> what like, are those? Yeah, it's a it's about T'Challa and you know becoming the Black Panther, but it's also about the f- fact that all of the women that he is surrounded with. Maybe. And it is mostly women. All of the influencing yeah. people close to him are women. Yep. So. Like, I I, I do love Wonder Woman. Uh, the first one was, is great. The second one was entertaining. But it's mm-hmm. also not everything that we needed it to be. I, I think that if everyone manages their expectations, they can probably find more enjoyment out of the second movie than than one is led to believe by Twitter. Yeah, it's, uh, I people were panning it really, really hard right off the bat. I'm like, Man, were they? okay, it wasn't the best thing ever, but I don't, I don't know what you're on about. Yeah, yeah they well, dragged that's the, it. That's the cachet of Twitter, though. Is you want to get popular by who can have the most snarky hot take on the movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm over hot takes. Yeah. Yeah, because in five years there's going to be a write up and another website that says every reason you hated Wonder Woman 84 is wrong. And here's why. And it's going to be another horribly written article also. Sure. Sure. You know, cause that's just what the internet do. And it'll probably be from the Mary Sue. You never know. There, there might also be. Oh, first it, Mary it, Sue bashing of 2021. It could just be the like, website. Yeah. Just the website. It, it could be just like the, uh, the first season of the gallery where Dave Filoni explains to us, why we should stop hating on the prequels. Oh my God. It was so good. <laughs> oh my God. So and really he was quick. right. He was 100% right. So the star Wars gallery, it goes into them having Is this a that new episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. They, they go into why they want to use McClunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's funny watching Favreau and Filoni, but there's a quick little throwaway line. Is there, 
they're showing like a model, like they're working on the model and like the model, the model spins. And Filoni looks at Favreau and says, spinning, that's a neat trick. And Favreau actually goes, as they walk off screen. <laughs> it's like, you guys are nerds. <laughs> they really are. Like, but they also have uh, an understanding and a passion for what, what universe they're playing in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's our thoughts on Wonder Woman 84, right? Yep. Th- those are mine. Yeah. Yep. This right here seems like the natural place to take a little break and thank our sponsors. First up, Guardian Games. They have been with us since the very beginning, and we are still together making things bigger and better in 2021, um, assuming we can all hang out someday. But anyway, <laughs> since we are all going to be stuck inside for a little while, stop by Guardian Games, who are fresh off inventory, so everything is clean, which is not how inventory works, but you know what I mean. Uh, they just got in uh, a cop, so if you dig the Adventure Zone, they just got in the collaborative storytelling game based on the Adventure Zone. So you can create your own adventures uh, from that series and keep telling them and having lots of fun that way. They also got a new restock in of some really popular and, quite frankly, fantastic board games like Gloomhaven and uh, the Labyrinth uh, Adventure Game, which I've heard is quite good, and I want to try it out myself, so maybe I will be making a stop at Guardian Games. And you should, too. They are at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They have all of the gaming needs you might have, whether it's board games, RPGs, dice games, card games. Or if you're like me and you're getting back into that incredibly wonderful but oh-so-nerdy hobby of painting miniatures, they have all the supplies you need to get started uh, or to grow your miniature painting hobby if you want to start including terrain and like trees and moss and all that kind of fun stuff and then maybe take close pictures of it and be super nerdy. I don't know what you're talking about. I would never do such a thing. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, Guardian Games. And when you're in there, thank them for being a longtime sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Just like our other friends over at Bridge City Comics. That's right. You can check them out at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Uh, This week, uh, I do believe the DC Future State uh, event officially starts... So if you've been curious about some of the titles that are coming out from that, pop on over to Bridge City Comics and you can check out some of the future state titles that are beginning to drop, see what's going on with all things DC. And of course, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about DC here a little bit on the show, obviously from the movies and whatnot. And if you are curious to read some of the comics that inspired almost every single superhero movie you have ever seen, uh, then go down to Bridge City Comics and check it out. Uh, there's some fantastic runs of Wonder Woman. I mean, really, if it's got a cape or a cowl and it's still in print, it's going to be at Bridge City Comics. So check them out. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. You can also find them online at bridgecitycomics.com. Either way, when you do so, thank them for being such a supporter of Geek in the City Radio, which we're going to get back to right now. Well, should we move into like some of the the weird, other interesting like DC news that kind of dropped over the past twenty four hours? Yeah, I think you're the only one that's read, but you've been feeding us information, so I'm I'm eager. Yeah. So, I got bits and pieces of it. So I guess it was like twenty four hours ago or so. There was an official announcement from from Warner Brothers about how they were going to structure their DC films and and TV, and that. Um, 
like first off, Warner Brothers said that they're committing to, I think, I think six DC projects a year starting in 2022. And they said at least two massive feature films and at least four original programming, either moves, movies or miniseries on HBO Max. Because so they got to fill that thing with content now. That's exhausting. Yeah, okay. like they got in more, they got in more subscribers because of Wonder Woman. Apparently, the numbers are doing much better. So now they got to keep people. You know, they mm-hmm. got to start just cranking out content more than just HBO original programming. And part of it is it part of it is that they created the DCEU, which I thought meant DC Expanded Universe, their cinematic one. But Cable, you said it Entertainment Universe. I thought it was uh, DC Entertainment Universe. Okay, but I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, so basically what they said is that there's going to be standalone films that kind of exist on their own, like Robert Pattinson's, you know, The Batman. That is, that exists all on its own. Or like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix on Joker. That exists on its own. It doesn't, don't tie it into anything. Like a one shot. Yeah, uh, but they're like, I, but there is going to be this larger story thread um, and in doing so, they have said that Michael Keaton is officially the Batman of the DCEU. Extended universe is what it stands for. Okay. The DC extended universe. Okay. <laughs> that, that it's Michael Keaton, not Affleck. Because everyone thought that the spinoff, basically that what they now call the Snyderverse would be the cinematic universe of DC where Wonder Woman exists and blah, blah, blah. And Warner Bros. have basically said that the Snyder cut of Justice League is a narrative cul-de-sac that when it's done, it's done. And that the extended universe is, but it's still going to be the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. It doesn't make any sense. But the thing that blew people away is that they said Keaton is the official Batman of the DCEU and that we will see him as Batman one more time. Now that could also first mean his appearance in Flashpoint which makes me think he's not going to play Thomas Wayne. He's actually going to be Bruce Wayne. Because that was the rumor since the Flash movie is basically Flashpoint that he would play Thomas Wayne, but he's not. He's clearly going to play Bruce. Which then got the internet freaking out. We're like, wait, if Keaton comes back as Batman, he's old. Which means only one thing. Old Bruce Wayne, which means Batman Beyond. And that's what kind of got the internet just losing their shit. Like, wait a minute. Does that mean that, like, they're, like, putting out feelers to how people would think there might be a Batman Beyond movie? And I loved that series. So I, the idea of there being a Batman Beyond movie or series on HBO, either way, I really like that idea. Because that was a quality show. (laughs) Yes, it was. So... And that opening theme song is just such a sucker. That thing just snaps. Yeah, so it is It is on their Wikipedia page. The Joker and the Batman exist on... Or Joker and the Batman existed on separate Earths from yeah. each other, as well as separate from the DCEU. Yeah. And then the DCEU is basically Earth 1, while the Batman, which is the Robert Pattinson, is Earth 2. So basically, we now live in the multiverse. The movies exist in a multiverse. Yes. I, I think. Means th- one day. <laughs> Sorry, I'm nerding out. 
get an actual cinematic crisis. That'd be so dumb and nerdy and mm-hmm. That's but a lot. If yeah. if that yeah. is the direction they're going, then they have their um, television cousins to thank for it. Oh yeah, the Flash, Grant Gustin Flash meeting Ezra Miller Flash was the was the link. Yeah, going. Oh, this is a thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah, it's just like, you know, the old comic nerd in me just loves that idea. I don't know if it's a good idea, but I like to relish in that. But Sure. But I do think there's actually a lot of potential in a Batman Beyond, either film or series. Um, I mean, you think about it, the type of, even just the design of the show was way ahead of its time. Uh, the type of stories they were telling were very different. Um, but that also gives kind of DC to have like a blank slate with that character. It doesn't have to be like a white dude as Terry McGinnis. You can literally have anyone be Terry McGinnis. Um, I mean, hell Terry's a gender neutral name to begin with. Like Mm -hmm. you literally have, especially if you do it like way in the future where we're dealing with issues, like we're not dealing with, but where we've expanded and are better with issues of like gender. And now they're dealing with transhumanism. There's so much you could tell story to be told in the Batman beyond universe. In addition to just Batman fighting future crime. Like there's so, there's so many ways they could go with this. And you have Michael Keaton as the crusty, grumpy Bruce Wayne. You know, there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot of potential. And I was, I would be worried that they would then just squander all that potential. I think one of the things that made Batman Beyond appealing for me is Batman was not just fighting criminals. Um, he was fighting unchecked capitalism. Yes, he was. And the robber barons that it produced. Yeah. And if there's a time for that to be a for message. A subtle attack on, on robber barons and yes. the capitalism, rampant capitalism. I mean, it's certainly less subtle than or it's more subtle than you know dragging guillotines out in the street right yes and i'm almost there (laughs) um but yeah um and it's interesting is that even in in batman begins or batman begins in um oh my god beyond batman beyond like Bruce Wayne is no longer like the richest person in the world. Yeah, he's still a like a billionaire. But a lot of the episodes of Batman Beyond deals with Bruce Wayne fighting off hostile takeovers because he knows what these people will do if they ever control Wayne Enterprises. They'll weaponize it. Mm-hmm. So he'll basically his attitude eventually is I will tear my company to the ground before I let them take over. Because it's not a pride thing, it's a, I know what will happen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also the other reason why I would love like the Batman Beyond universe to extend is that uh, the first episode of Batman Beyond shows old Bruce in the suit he literally quits being Batman because he picks up a gun mm-hmm. doesn't even use it he picks it up and points it at a bad guy and that wrecks him to the core, and he says never again, and he retires Batman, where he knows that I almost did it. And and just so everyone's clear, he picks it up because he's 
starts having a heart attack in the middle of a fight, and they have him dead to rights. Yeah, and he grabs and he, the gun. Only way to save his own life is to pick up a gun. Yeah. By the way, at this point, all of the top headlines regarding this story are saying, no, no, relax. Michael Keaton is not replacing uh, Robert Pattinson as Batman. Oh, man, people are dumb. See, this is, again, what I was talking about during Wonder Woman. It's like we, we have moved past this being able to be subtle. We have to spell things out for people. Yeah, uh, what's-his-face yeah. had to specify, no, 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 sorry, I just mean he's going to be in the flesh. Mm-hmm. All I meant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I'm, this is, sorry, I'm also looking through uh, email. I, this is episode uh, 580. Is it really? It is. Really? Y- your Patreon. Oh, God damn much, it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Last week was 579. So this is 580. All right. Do you want to start over real quick? <laughs> All right, everybody. Why, hello, and welcome to issue 580 of Geek and City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Pinarita. And I am your other, other host, uh, Cable Hashtani. How's your guys' week going? How's the new year? <laughs> See, now you can just splice that in. It's fine. Do I? I think it's better. Actually, I, I don't It's hilarious. Leave it. Leave it. Uh, no, it. no, cut it. And clip it into the beginning, but, but not the very beginning. Make it a second intro after some rewind noises. Yeah, but leave this part here anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, also that. So everyone, everyone's <laughs> going to get three intros in this episode. Bam, bam, bam. Front-loading all of the intros for the year. Yeah. It's great. I love it. It's <laughs> my favorite thing. I like Sack is reminding everybody, too. He's like, hey, remember when the DCCW said, we're have no plans of ever doing crossovers? <laughs> right. Yeah, Good I think that was, there, so. that was the first lie they told us, and then we yeah. got used to them lying to us all the time about, right. oh, we're never going to do this. You're doing it right now. Yeah. You know, but I bet you there is a goodly number, a goodly contingent of uh, fans of DC movies who don't necessarily watch any of the DC shows, the, the Arrowverse, as it were. Yeah, and, and so for them, this is a whole new concept about being mm-hmm. lied to about crossovers. Yep. Uh, unlike all of us who've been watching Star Wars now for the past couple of years, it's like, oh no, all the like, uh, I've just everything out of Ming Na Wen for the past year has been. Oh, I wish I was in more <laughs> Mandalorian. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you lies. Not only are you in more Mandalorian, you're in the other show. <laughs> you're a main character in the other show. Yeah. Oh my God! Did you see the Twitter exchange between her and Mark Hamill? Yes. Oh, uh, I I hadn't heard about it. Merrick showed it to me last night, and I'm like, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, watching those two go back and forth was. Yeah, yeah they're just like, "You're great." No, no you're great. great. But, but but you did all this. Yeah, but you've done all this. You're great. <laughs> but you're great. It's like, this is, I, mm, mm, yep. That's the content that I want from my Star Wars heroes. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Ah, seems like a good place to kind of wrap the show on a happy note. Indeed. Uh, I don't know what we're doing for the rest of the month. We haven't really planned anything out. 
That's we a really need, good question. We need to have uh, Greg and Edelin back on. That's true. Oh, and next week we will be doing our final talk on Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Oh, God, yeah. Well, that's true because we have to actually cover the last three, three episodes. Yeah, yeah it's, we're, three we're intentionally episodes. saving them all. So we might oh. want to just do only that next week. I think I'm so. good with that. That sounds good. We can tease that with it's made from our shit. <laughs> also, who didn't think that was true? Like, I mean, it's made from every bit of waste. It, it, that was a line for people who no, I never conceptualized okay, what, it, what it's like to live in space with yeah. limited resources. Yeah. Genuinely limited resources. I saw, like, I don't know what site it was. One of the horrible sites, like CBR or Screen Rant, they're like, the most recent episode of Discovery finally answers a question that Trek fans have wondered since TNG. And I'm like, who wondered that? Except that's not true. I chose not to wonder or think about it. I, I was happy to... To like choose to be ignorant. If I if if I had allowed myself to think about it, it would not have taken long to figure out. And I wanted to stay on this side of that line. <laughs> so starships leave star bases with a full supply of base matter for replicators. Yeah, that is, it's brand new, but it's sure, it's sure. made of all of the components. If you spend five years in space, not going back and forth to your star base, eventually that does have to become recycled waste. No, I understand the logic. I just didn't want to go there. But the way Starfleet has been existing in the time after the burn, they have, like, scarcity is reality. And I thought that that was a beautiful way to just put a fine point on that. Yeah. And I do love her look when she's like, <laughs> that's pretty good yeah uh, well we can't go into otherwise i'll start we'll start talking about star trek so no, I, that's, uh, that's why i wanted to tease that that was that's yeah. a perfect little tease because yeah. if we can get that nerdy about that little bit just also, wait I hope, I hope we don't lose him in the, fu- the season finale i hope not either like yeah. i love the fact that that was a huge scene for him and it's like oh okay now i get you like yeah. you've been, you've been uh, scoldy dad for most of the season, but yeah, you know, get why you're scoldy dad. Yeah, I like that when we first meet him, he's just another asshole Starfleet admiral. But then as a progressive, like, oh no, no, he's not an asshole. He just he's very much a realist, and it's yeah, like he's I'm barely keep, holding shit together. It's like he I has only keep existed in alive. hard times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's Odin. Right, the burn at that point, the burn was a hundred years prior. <laughs> A little bit more, but yeah, roughly, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah so he, is only, he has only known hard times. He was born in the long night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. None of these... Discovery's all these, like, sweet summer children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and again, really more, more Oded Fair is a good thing. Yep. Yeah. He's I enjoy fantastic. Him. Yeah. He hasn't been in enough things. No, not at all. Still bummed. He was never the Ra's al Ghul we should have had. He could still be the Doctor Fate. Oh, from your lips to Naboo's ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Naboo on that nerdy note, speaking. 
That's true. I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Benarita. And I'm Cable Hashitani. And you have been enjoying Geek in the City Radio issue 581. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to everybody next week on 582. Right? Yes. I'm a dick. Watch out for snakes. I'm huge. Zolette. Big deal. <laughs>